Well, good morning. It's good to see you. I'm really glad you're here. I uh, realize that this morning there's uh, a lot of you come from different places and in different ways. Some of you uh, as families have already had your kids uh, back into school and you're running into the new, new year. Some of you are waiting for school to crank back up either for your children or uh, for yourself at, at universities, undergrad or grad school. Some of you I've met in the past few weeks that have just moved to Durham and you're settling in and kind of getting into a new rhythm. Others of you have been away or traveling and you're coming back in and settling in before the fall starts. Uh, and others of you I know are here for the first time and you're just visiting and you're heading back home soon. And, and so however you come into this place this morning, we're really, really glad you're here. I hope you feel welcome and, and know that, that we're glad uh, that you're with us. Uh, we are nearing the end of our series in 1 John. We've been in this series all summer long, a New Testament letter of 1 John that we've titled Light and Love. I'm preaching this week. Timothy will preach next week to close out our series uh, before we uh, begin the fall. I'm going to ask if you're able to stand as we give attention to God's Word. We're going to look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 through chapter 5, verse 5. This is God's word to us this morning. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would come and speak to us this morning. Holy Spirit, use the scriptures to draw us to you, that you would give us faith, that you would transform us, that you, Jesus, would be exalted so that our lives are changed because we've been with you. Remove anything that comes from me and everything that comes from you, would it be planted deeply within our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, if you've been coming for some time to our church, even if this may be your first Sunday morning, you know that uh, one of the things God has blessed us with in our community is a plethora, and I mean plethora, of babies and children, uh, babies being born. We are blessed with children. Uh, Sarah Hayslip, who is our new children's ministry director, delivered her third child this past Tuesday. Uh, and I kind of laughed to myself this week thinking about this, that was it some subliminal prerequisite for the job that the new director had to be pregnant and delivering soon as a way of relating to uh, the parents in our church? Now, I realize many of you do not have children. You don't have babies. You're not expecting a baby. This is not a a sermon uh, about parenting. So uh, if you started to drift off because you thought I wasn't going to talk to you, come back to me. Uh, it's not what, that's not where I'm going. But I do want to ask all of you to reflect back on your life. And I want you to think about the biggest transition you've ever experienced. 
The biggest transition you've ever experienced in your life. I want to propose this morning that the biggest transition for all of us is when we were born into this world. Your birth. Now, I know none of us can remember that day. If you can remember that day, I would be amazed and worried. Uh, you can... So this morning, I wanted to actually start out by showing a movie clip. I, we don't show movie clips very often here, uh, but I, I think it's hard for us to imagine what that day might have been like. So uh, this is an old movie, 1989. Look who's talking, John Travolta. This is the birth scene from Look Who's Talking, if we can play it. No, don't push. Hey, stop with the pushing already. Hey, I'm fine. Oh, you but I'm beat so you're the one that's been kicking me well you were the one that ate all that spicy food this has got to be the weirdest thing that has ever happened to me well so far what I'm suggesting is that your birth my birth was the most traumatic experience that we've ever had the biggest transition in your life, that every one of us spent nine months in complete darkness in our mother's womb where it was warm eating from a tube and then we're pushed and pushed and our heads are contorted and then we're thrust out into this world that's cold and extremely bright and people are grabbing us and inspecting our bodies. It's the biggest transition and change we go through. Well, new birth is one of the main ways that the Bible, and in particular, the Apostle John, describes what it means to be a Christian. John says here in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, that we're born of God. In other parts of John's writings, he says that we're born again. So to be a Christian, it means that one must be born again. We must experience a new birth. Now realize that this phrase, born again, it doesn't sit well with many in our culture. It doesn't sit well with many of you. I don't often like the phrase either because in our society, it's not the most flattering term. It can be equated with people who really don't think about their faith, people that are very emotional and about their faith, or people who are hyper-conservative politically and equate their politics with their faith. So we don't like this term, many of us. But I want to, you to see this morning that the scriptures do not mean that in, when it's talking about being born again. And that according to the Bible, there are not Christians and then born again Christians. And according to the scriptures, every person who is a Christian must be 
born again. John writes about this in his gospel, chapter 3, when Jesus engages with a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was extremely educated. Nicodemus was Ivy League educated, was a judge, leader, wealthy, civic, civically engaged, morally upright. And Jesus tells Nicodemus that to be a Christian, he must be born again. Doesn't tell Nicodemus that to be a Christian, he needs more moral structure. He needs more morality. Must be born again. Now, many of us, even if we are Christians, can let this thought of more morality slip into our belief. That to get right with God, we, we need to add morality. You, you know this may be true of you if you think things like this. Life starts to go south. You're in a valley. You're hurting. And you start thinking, I, just, I need to get back into the church. That'll help me. Or if you feel convicted about an area in your life and all of a sudden you're saying, I just need to read more of my Bible. I, I need to start praying more. I need to start serving more. Jesus tells Nicodemus, who was way more moral than anybody in here, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Hear me, it doesn't matter your ethnicity, your socioeconomic class, your age, your religious background. Jesus says everyone must be born again to be a Christian. Now, Nicodemus in John's gospel is confused, as maybe you would be, at Jesus' statement. Right, how in the world is it possible to be born again? Nicodemus is rational in his thinking, and so he's like, am I, am I climb back in my mother's womb? How can I be born again? It's impossible. And that's exactly Jesus' point. A person cannot be born again on their own. And there is nothing a person can do. One must be born from above. Now, what we do, it's what we must become. You see, Jesus doesn't give Nicodemus one more step to take. He says, Nicodemus, you must be born all over again. You need a new origin. You must be born from above. There must be a radical change, a radical transition in your life. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's a complete change in how one views and sees the whole world. God begins to open our minds to understand begins to soften our hearts to understand things that we never saw or understood before. We begin to say things like, wow, how did I never see that? How did I never understand that? And it's not just an intellectual grasping, it's a radical transition that God is putting into effect in our hearts and in our minds. It's a worldview change, a surrendering to God and, to, and seeing all of life lived unto him. It's what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a follower of Jesus. I was meeting with someone in our church a few months ago, and this person uh, would say they've become a Christian in the past year or two. And we were eating lunch, and he asked me about tithing and giving money to the Lord. Uh, and he shared in our lunch that he had been taught not to really give, and, uh, but to save, but that now God was working and, and changing him, that he really wanted to see all that he had from God and all that he had to be used for God. And I left that lunch so deeply encouraged because I knew that this man was a Christian because he was being radically changed. He was surrendering his whole life 
to follow God with a new vision, with new priorities, a radical change. It happens in our lives when there's a new birth that comes from above. We're born of God. It happens when the love of God arrests you and changes the way you view everything. To be a Christian is a monumental transition that occurs because of nothing in us, but because of everything God has done for us. Think about our natural birth. Our natural birth was because two people came together on their own accord and we became a product of their love. We didn't decide to be born. We didn't decide who our parents were. We were the product of two people coming together on their own accord. How much more for spiritual birth? A new birth happens because God acts on his own accord. It's all of his doing. 1 John 4, 19, the first verse of our passage, we love because he first loved us. We are born of God because God decides to set his love on us. God and his love is entirely unmoved by anything in us. It's none of our doing. Nothing God sees in us makes him set his love on us. He decides to set his love on us. It's a really difficult thing to believe for North Americans in particular. Many of us here like to prize our autonomy. We make our own decisions. If we're Christians, we like to publicly proclaim, I have decided to follow Jesus, therefore I am born again. No, we're born of God. It's his doing. He loves us first. And scripture is pretty clear in places like Romans and the New Testament that before we're born of God, we're dead in sin. Dead in relationship to God. Hearts opposed to God. Hearts and minds captured and set in on ourselves. We're dead. Not kicking and screaming. We're not inching our way towards God. No heartbeat. No life. Therefore, we can do nothing. Everything must be done to us. God must work in us. Chuck Colson is a well-known name for many in North American evangelicalism. Maybe you've heard of Chuck Colson. Colson was a Marine officer, Harvard Law graduate, climbed the legal profession rapidly. By his late 30s, he was counsel to the President of the United States. And he was known for being ruthless. He was called the hatchet man of the White House. Uh, this was until he ran into a man named Tom Phillips, uh, who was head of the Raytheon Corporation. Phillips was also a young man for the position that he had. He was in his early 40s. And many told Colson, hey, you want to avoid Tom Phillips because Tom Phillips has recently had a religious experience. He is now one of those born-again Christians. Be aware of him. Colson decides to arrange a meeting with Tom Phillips because he wants to ask him about it. And in their meeting, Phillips gives Colson a copy of the books uh, by C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. And Phillips opens up the chapter on pride and begins to read to Colson. The proud man always looks down. The proud man cannot see God because the proud man will never see anything that is above him. And this penetrated Colson. It penetrated the armor that he had been wearing for 40 years. He never thought of anything coming from God. He never thought of anything superior to himself. But as Phillips read, Colson's mind was opened and his heart 
was being changed. Colson gets into his car to leave, and his eyes fill up with tears. And as he's driving down the road, he has to pull off to the side of the road because he couldn't see because tears were coming down his face so quickly. And he thought to himself, what is happening? He's like, I don't cry, but he's sobbing. And then he found himself praying. In the car, all alone, sobbing and praying for the first time in his life. And Colson said, for the first time in my life, I was convinced in that moment I was actually not alone. That God was with me. And a few weeks later, Colson would say he was a follower of Jesus, a born-again Christian. Friends, there's nothing more important than this. That we must be born of God, a radical, traumatic transition that happens as God sets his love on us. I'm not saying there's a huge moment that you have to remember. I'm not saying that for spiritual new birth, you have to know the, the minute and the second that God changed your life. Many of us will never know that moment. Can't determine that moment. But I am saying that we can and should be able to look at our life and say somewhere along the way, God set his love on me and has forever changed my life. At some point, we say like Peter in 1 Peter, we became partakers of the divine life. The divine life, born of God. Do you hear that language? Becoming a Christian is a transformation, not a reformation of our old life. It is a transformation, a new birth from God. Think about it. If you want peaches from an apple orchard, you don't prune and use better fertilizer. Doing so is just going to give you more apples. If you want new fruit... You have to have a new root. There must be replanting. This is what happens when one is born again, a replanting, a transformation. So I want to highlight four fruits of new birth. John has been saying this throughout his letter, but he says it here again. So four fruits of new birth. The first is faith. Faith. Look at 1 John 5, 1 again. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who believes has been born of God. New birth precedes our faith. Faith is the fruit of God's love being set on us. As theologians like to say, regeneration precedes faith. He wakes us up. He brings us from death to life. Then we're given the fruit of faith. But in addition, what we believe is very important. Everyone that believes that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the object of our faith. Because Jesus is the only one that can forgive us and heal us and transform us. Right beliefs about Jesus matter. It's what we've seen in this letter. A lot of false teachers, a lot of false teaching in John's day as there is in our day. Right beliefs about Jesus matter. In our day, there's a lot of false teaching going on, but a few that really get me going. The first is, is kind of the prosperity theology of our day. What I, what I mean by prosperity theology is the teaching that if you love God, God will bless you with material blessings in this life, that, that your life will just get better and better if you really believe and trust him. And I just don't see that anywhere in the scriptures. I actually see that if you trust God and believe God, sometimes suffering comes. The apostles were martyred. Jesus was crucified. Our best life is not now. God, God may bless us in this life now, but our best life is yet to come. Another detrimental theology that creeps into the church 
uh, it's really secular thinking, but it's the rationalism uh, post-enlightenment, this belief that we uh, preached on at First John, that, that, that only the natural exists, not the supernatural. There's teaching within the church that Jesus really isn't God, that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross, that Jesus was just a good man and a good teacher. He's an exemplar that we can follow. I just have to say, these teachings rob the gospel of its glory. Jesus is the Christ. And believing this is the fruit of being born again. The second, third, and fourth fruit of this new birth comes from seminary professor Steve Childers. We use this in our uh, discovery class or if you've been, it's our new members class. If you've been through that, you've heard this. But the second fruit is a new identity. As we're given new birth, we gain a new identity. Being born of God is we're birthed into a new family. John has been saying throughout this letter, we are children of God, transformed. Our identity no longer comes from how much money we have. Our identity is not about the success we have in this life or the approval of others or our good deeds or our good life. Rather, our identity is, because, is that we are children of God. There's way more security in believing that than in any of the things I just mentioned. I heard a shocking statistic this past week that in 2015, three years ago, in our country, more people died from taking selfies than from shark attacks. More people died trying to take a photo of themselves on some cliff or mountain or some dangerous place to show all their friends, look at me, look at what I'm doing, look at who I am, than people who died from shark attacks. I mean, we do live in a selfie culture, right? We like to post, I'm not saying all social media is bad. Social media is good. I'm not saying every selfie post is bad. But I am saying that I think what oftentimes gets underneath this look at me, look at what I'm doing, hey world, I am somebody, is a search for identity. It's an identity issue. As Christians, we need not worry what other people think about us. We need not prove ourselves. We need not fear we're not enough. We rejoice and have a joy that is unshakable because we're children of God, a Father's love that will never let us go. The third fruit of this new birth is a new heart. 1 John 5.1, he says, everyone who loves the Father. Verse 2, when we love God. Verse 3, for this is, is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. The fruit of being born again is that we now have a heart that takes delight in obeying God, and walking with God, and listening and communing with God, with God. And as the passage says, we know that his commands are not burdensome that they're actually for our good, that, that walking with God and obedience with God is the good life. See, our affections change when we have new birth. We now find joy in what God says is true versus what the world tells us is true. We find delight in communing with God in his good life rather than delighting in what the world's offer of what determines the good life. This doesn't mean that we perfectly keep God's commands. We don't. That's why we confess our sins every Sunday morning. Uh, but it does mean that our hearts in its deepest parts have been changed and that our greatest delight is to walk with him, to follow him, and to trust him. St. Augustine, bishop in Africa in the 4th century, 
was a sex addict before he became a Christian. Later in his life, Augustine encounters an old lover, and he tries to be nice to her, but she knows something's different with this man. And she's confused as Augustine's walking away, and and she cries out, Augustine, it is I, your lover. And he said, I know, but but it's not I. It's not I anymore. I think that is a beautiful way to describe what the Christian, becoming a Christian in the Christian life really is. It's not amnesia. It's not kind of spiritual schizophrenia. It's a new life. That the Christian is different in what drives him or her once they've experienced new birth. The last fruit, the fourth fruit, is that we're given a new mission. Look at Chapter 421 says, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Verse 1, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Fruit of new birth is that we now have a new mission. To love all whom God has placed around us. Love is now our calling card. We're to be known by love. We're not to be known for our outrage or for our critical spirits. As often can be in the church and outside the church. I was listening to NPR this past week, and they were talking about our culture of outrage, this righteousness that people can have nowadays to to get outraged at, you name it, whatever is popping up each week. And I have to admit, it's easy. It's easy to get angry. It's easy to criticize. It's easy to blast people. But children of God are known for our love, not our criticism. So let me just say, if you find yourself flaring up and getting angry and it's causing you to rage at other people, maybe switch that news source or stop listening to it and start praying that God would give you love for people. As God brings spiritual birth into our life, the dead are raised to life and we now embark on a mission of love, to love the world with the love we've received in Christ. So if if you find yourself like me, getting angry at people, uh, getting critical. And I'm not saying all anger is bad. Love can be passionate. Love can, can get angry, right? But I'm saying the criticalness. You find yourself being critical and raging at people. Fill your, fill your mind and your heart with things that soften your heart, that give you compassion for broken people in broken places. Fill your mind with the things that will then motivate you to fight against the darkness that exist in our world, and to bring the love of Christ to bear in those broken places. Chuck Colson, after becoming a Christian, Chuck Colson, who I mentioned earlier, he was arrested, and maybe you know this, in the Watergate scandal uh, of the early 70s. Colson, a convicted felon, now a Christian, sent to federal prison, served seven months. As soon as he got out of prison, he flew back to his home in Virginia, Virginia, and he proclaimed, I will never set foot in prison again, not going back. That night, Colson couldn't sleep. God was working on him, working him over. And he kept thinking about all the guys he prayed with in prison, all the guys he slept with in, in the prison, and, and he became friends with. And in his first day of freedom, Colson woke up, He flew back to the prison. He walked in with purpose to love those guys who he had spent seven months with. And then he started Prison Fellowship, the largest ministry to prisons in our country. Colson, the hatchet man of the White House, 
became a man of faith with a new identity, a new heart, and a new mission. This is what it means to be a Christian. Everyone must be born again. Are you? Are you born again? If not, may the love of God in Jesus arrest you. May it change you. And if so, let's fight the darkness in our world with love and mercy. Let's be passionate about loving. Let's be on a mission to love our children, to love our mothers and our fathers, our brothers and our sisters, to love our church family, to love by being hospitable to our neighbor, to allow ourselves to be interrupted so we can listen to a coworker, to provide for the unwed mother with a child, to provide for the poor and the prisoner, to love by fostering or adopting. I don't know what it means exactly for you to be on God's mission. I don't know what it means exactly, but I do know this, that if you're born again, we've all been given a mission to love. And why do we love? I pray we always know and I pray we always believe because he first loved us. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would you would change us, you would transform us, some of us here maybe for the first time ever. And it comes from you, you have to change us. Wake us from the dead, I pray. Lord, those of us who do know you and have walked with you, we struggle and we doubt and we don't live into the truths of what you said are now uh, true of us because we've been born of you. Help us to believe yet again. Strengthen our faith, I pray. Thank you that you're with us and that you continue to be with us even as we come to this table. In Jesus' name, amen.